Good morning. Oh, man, I feel like uh, sometimes the Lord just—I don't know—that <laughs> that that pause, that 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 quiet moment in the Lord's presence to me is just—I could have—I feel like I could have sat there for another couple of hours. <laughs> I don't know about you. I felt like. Oh, what am I getting up here for? That was that was more productive than anything I'm gonna say. Uh, but I'm I'm glad you're here. Um, we're gonna continue in in our our message or our series on on the parables. Um, I, I trust this has been helpful for you. Um, I've been I've been so enjoying just in my own personal and diving into these. Um, just really, the Lord's just been opening my eyes to just man how how smart Jesus was. <laughs> That's, uh, it may sound um, trite, or I guess, but man, the, the, the layers, the depth of which he was able to tell stories and communicate is just phenomenal when you, when you really dig into these. And, and the story we're going to look at today is no different. I, um, you know, you try and, when you're preparing a message or anytime you, you're looking at scripture, um, the goal is to go into it objectively, right? We wanna, we've talked about this before, how, how the, the, the point, when we go into Scripture, our heart and our mind should be to say, what does, what does this mean for me? We talked about this at the beginning, not what does this mean to me, right? That there's, there is a truth that the Lord, that God has written in Scripture, and we want, to, we want to, that to be revealed to us. Um, and that's an important way to go in, into all your studies, all your Bible study. But sometimes um, there is a level at which, especially with a familiar verse, where you, you, you know that, but at the same time you're like, but I, yes, yes, that's true, but I know where this is. Like, I, I've been there, read this a million times. I know what this says. And then you read it that, like, million and one time. And the Lord kind of like opens up or a whole new world to you from that verse. Anybody ever had that, that happen to them in, in their private time or, or in, in a message? This, this story, this, this definitely happened to me this week. Um, I, I went into studying this, this, this parable kind of expecting to know the destination, right? I kind of knew, thought I knew the point of, of why this story exists. And... Um, I guess the best way I can describe my experience this week is, anybody watch The Princess Bride, right? Favorite, my, Pastor Troy's favorite movie of all time. Um, you know, there's the little bald guy, and he keeps saying, inconceivable, inconceivable. And then finally, uh, Inigo, one of the other characters, just looks at him and goes, you keep using that word. I do not think it means what you think it means. This is the experience I had with this story, <laughs> As I came to the end of my studies this week, that picture just kept popping in my head. You keep using this story. I don't think you know what it means. So I, I preface that to say, uh, buckle up, because I feel like we all kind of have, have, have had the, the, a similar experience with this story. And it's, it, it's a familiar one. It's the story of, of the Good Samaritan. You find in, in Luke chapter 10, the story of the Good Samaritan, we've, we've heard this story. This story goes even beyond Christian circles, right? The, the story of the Good Samaritan is a part of, of popular culture. There's hospitals named after it. There's charities and nonprofits named after it. Because this story, the Good Samaritan, has become synonymous with doing good things, right? 
And many of you, if not all of you, have heard this story. But I want to challenge you. I want to encourage you to to not not just tune out because it's familiar. I, I genuinely believe the Lord has something fresh for us in this this story today. So I'm not going not gonna to take any more time of preface than that. We're just going to jump right into our, our text. Um, and the text starts not with the story, but the context for the story, right? We need to understand what's going on if we're going to understand the story itself. And so our, our text is in Luke chapter 10. Uh, if you have your Bibles or want to turn them on and follow along, it'll be on the screen as well. Starting in verse 25, it says, One day an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Now, off the bat, we have this kind of uh, interesting juxtaposition. It says that the, this, religious, uh, this expert in religious law stands up to ask a question to test Jesus. And what we have here is he's kind of, he's basically, uh, he, he's posing, okay? In, in, in this context, typically what would happen, uh, a, a rabbi or a teacher would sit with their students, and they would all sit, and out of respect for the teacher, when you had a question, you wanted to learn something, you would stand up, and you would ask your question, and then you'd sit down, and you would, you would receive the details, you would receive the answer you're looking for. But in this case, we have a guy who is standing up, in the pretenses of, of trying to gain information, but we know from Luke, Luke says that wasn't his purpose. His purpose was to test Jesus. And so here we have another story in which Jesus is answering a question that's not really a question, right? It, it's intended to be a, a, a trap. So that's the, the context that we have um, for, for this story. So the guy asks, what, what should I do to inherit eternal life. And in verse, we'll continue in verse 26, Jesus replied, as Jesus tends to do, instead of just answering the question, he responds with a question. He says, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? And the the man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him, do this and you will live. Now, the man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Now, I think the second question was actually the issue, was actually the trap that that this lawyer was trying to set for Jesus. Because this this first part is very boilerplate. Um, This question of of eternal life and what it takes, and and this response of you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, mind, love your neighbor as yourself, that was like, that was the answer to that question that everybody, everybody in Israel would have given. This was, they're quoting here kind of the fundamental belief statement, the mission statement, if you will, of the Jewish faith. And so there's nothing provocative in either the question or the answer up until this point when the man asks, and who is my neighbor? This question was hotly debated. The the term neighbor in the Old Testament was used in a a number of different contexts. At times it was used to refer to to your fellow countrymen, your fellow Israelites. Um, Sometimes it it was used to to refer to to your close friends, your geographic neighbors, the people that, that you had everyday connection with. 
at times it even referred to, to foreigners who were living among you. And so there was a lot of debate about what, who is my neighbor. This was a, a, a hotly debated thing in, in the kind of religious uh, circles, the lawyers and the Pharisees and all of them. This was, this was a, a common question because they're looking for the limits of how far they must extend their love to others to be right with God. It's an important question. And so there was a lot of, there were several different, different takes on it. What, what do I have, how much do I have to go, how far do I have to go to fulfill the law, to do, to be right with God? How far out does my love of others have to extend? And our parable today is Jesus' answer to that question. Who and how far and how much do I have to love? But typical of Jesus, he doesn't just answer the question he was asked. He also answers the question that the person, that this lawyer needed answered. Because how many know that's many times not the same thing? A lot of times we ask a question and the answer to the question isn't really, isn't really what we need. This happens a lot in, in our life, especially especially when there's, there's tragedy, right? We ask questions trying to, trying to make sense of everything, trying to, to wrap our heads and our minds around it, but, but it, the reality is the questions we're asking, the answers aren't, gonna, aren't really going to fix or comfort us in the problem. And Jesus was such a master at not just, not just answering the question, but responding to the need behind the question. And so today I want to look at this story and, and in, in layers. I think this story kind of reveals itself in, in layers, in three layers that we're going to look at. The first is uh, the story answers the question of the price of fulfilling the law. What, does it, what is Jesus saying it actually is going to take to, to, to who really is my neighbor? What, what is that standard? He's going to answer the question itself that was asked. And then he's going to, um, then the next layer we're going to look at is the point Jesus is trying to make to the man. So there's the, there's the he answers his question, but then there's the next layer down, he also responds to the, the, the lawyer's need. And then finally, there's a, a picture that the story paints for us that in, in it offers the solution to the real need that the, that the man had, that the lawyer had. So three layers we're going to look through today. But before we, we jump back into the text, let's just invite the Lord to, to be with us, continue to be with us in, in, as we look at his word. Jesus, we, we, we thank you. We, we've sensed your presence this morning. God, we don't take it for granted. God, as we dig into your word, would you speak clearly into our hearts? God, would this be more than just information would you transform us? Would you call us? Would you, would you change us this morning? Without your, your spirit invading our hearts and our minds, this is just words and information. So we, we make ourselves available to you this morning. Amen. Amen. Okay. So layer one, we're going to look at the, the price of fulfilling the law, answering the man's actual question. And we see that he, he answers with, with the story. The parable we're going to look at is the answer. Verse 30, Jesus replied with a story. 
A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, they beat him, and they left him half dead beside the road. So here's the setup. Um, this was a, a, obviously a made-up story, but a common one, again, ripped out of the headlines. Um, Jericho and Jerusalem were about 17 miles apart. It was a well-traveled road, and it was famous for these kinds of attacks. There was lots of good hiding places off it in Jerusalem and Jericho. Um, because of, of the nature of those two cities, there was a lot of wealth traveling the road. And so it was, it was a popular place for bandits to waylay people. In verse 31 it says, by, by chance a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying here, he, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed by him. And then a, a temple assistant walked over, looked at him lying there, but he also passed by to the other side. And it, in the, the, the audience he, he's speaking to, um, th th there's a question, and especially I think the question is begged of us because we're not, we're not first century Jews, is why didn't by, all, by these all accounts good men stop? What's, what's Jesus trying to show us in this part of the story? And there's, there's been a lot of discussion about why um, there's, there's been, you know, a lot, uh, a lot of people have kind of debated or, or theorized that, well, he's, what, what is Jesus getting at? Well, he's getting at that the, 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 the ceremonial law stood in their way and, and a number of other things that you can, we're not going to dive into and take the time, but there's all of these complicated explanations of, of of how this would affect their duties as, as, you know, as priests and temple assistants. And um, I, I, I understand where those, those thoughts come from, but, but I don't think that's really it, my, my opinion. Um, I'm going to side with the, the Reverend uh, Dr. Martin Luther King and his, his message with the, the Sermon on the Mount, where he posits that they were just simply scared to stop. Sometimes the simplest answer is the best. This is a, a road where it's, it's famous for, for these hijacks and these, 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 um, these attacks. And what better way to, to attack someone than to, to lay down and pretend? You've all, if you've ever seen a Western, you've seen this, right? The bad guy lays down, pretend he's hurt, and the guy walks over, and they roll over, and they got the gun. It's cheesy, but they tell that, they use that device because it really happens, right? And so I'm, I'm sure at that time, that was the common wisdom. If you're on the road and you see somebody and you're by yourself, you don't go over to help. You, you keep going because that's a, that could be a trap. So mama told me, right? <laughs> mama said run away, you know, don't talk to strangers. And so what are, what, are we to take, what are we to take from that? I think we see our first price that Jesus is saying is that you have to first choose to put yourself in a situation that's greatly dangerous. The Samaritan, which we'll get to, if anybody was going to stop, they were going to put themselves in great danger because this could have been a trap. At very least, you were just exposing yourself for longer on this, this dangerous road. So we, 
have to choose to put ourselves in great danger. And then if we continue in the story, verse 33, we meet our hero. He says, then a despised Samaritan came along. And when, when he saw the man, he felt great compassion for him. So here we, we come to our, our second price that Jesus is trying to teach us. If we want to fulfill this law, and maybe the hardest of all of them, he says, not only did he see the man, he felt great compassion for him. Now, th this may on the surface seem natural, but when you understand the relationship between the Jew and the Samaritan at this time, um, it, it, it changes a little bit. The, the Jew and the Samaritan had been a growing, ugly relationship for 600 the past 600 years leading up to this moment. And we're not going to jump into the history of all that except to say this is a beef between these two people that has gone back to the beginning of the kingdom and there is time and time again you see throughout Israel's history these two groups just at odds with each other and 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 more than more than just a power struggle more than just um more than just a disagreement there had grown real animosity and and bitterness between these two groups for what they blamed on the other person to understand the intensity of this dynamic, I think um, author Amy Levine puts it really well. She suggests that we only need to look at how that relationship has grown to today. What we look at when we see it today. And I'm just going to quote right out of her book, Short Stories of Jesus. Um, it says, uh, she says this, she says, Samaria today has various names. The West Bank, Occupied Palestine, Greater Israel... And to hear the parable today, we only need to update the identity of the figures. And this is her short version of, of the parable. She says, I'm an Israeli Jew on my way from Jerusalem to Jericho. I'm attacked by thieves and beaten, stripped, robbed, and left for, left for dead in a ditch. Two people who should have stopped to help me pass me by. But the third person who takes compassion on me and shows me actual mercy is a Palestinian Muslim whose sympathies lie with Hamas, a, a political party whose character not only anticipates Israel's destruction, but also depicts the Jews as subhuman demons responsible for all the world's problems. This is the man that Jesus chooses. This is the picture Jesus paints of the man who chooses to show and feel real compassion for this poor soul. Who is my neighbor? Everyone. Everyone is your neighbor, including the person you hate the most, including the person you're most afraid of, including the person that hates you the most. We must not just see them as our neighbor, but we have to feel compassion for them, genuine compassion, passion for their well-being. But Jesus doesn't just stop there as if that's not far enough with his answer. Compassion isn't enough. Jesus not only expands who our neighbors are, because up until this point, all the debate that we were talking about, the debate within these groups of who is your neighbor, it was friends and family, Jews, non-Jews who are living well amongst us. And that was it. That was as far as the debate had even gone. Jesus has blown this wide open to say it's not just that. It's, it's your your estranged uncles, it's the enemies across the way, it's everyone. 
And not only is it everyone, he expands the what you are expected to do. Verse 34, he says, going, we're back to the story. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling them, take care of this man. And if the bill runs higher than that, I'll pay you next time I'm here. Now, which would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits, Jesus asked. And the man replied, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. So what's the the price of fulfilling the law that Jesus paints? Just to recap, it's choose to put yourself in great danger. Feel compassion for your worst enemy. Attend his needs with everything you have, using your personal stash of whatever you have to see that their needs are met. Getting, being close enough to get this, this poor person's blood all over you, the blood of your enemies, the Samaritan would, would have been covered in it. Spend great time and effort getting him to the end. This, this, this Samaritan had to take this half-lifeless body and hoist it on his donkey and then walk this guy miles to the nearest village that would have had an inn. You know, we had already talked about danger, but, but can you imagine? Just think about this picture. You've got a, you've got a Samaritan, this this guy in that area that would not have just been disliked, but would have been seen as a threat. Walking into this tiny village, because it wouldn't have been a big one if he was going to the, the nearest one. With a local, this guy clearly no one would have, would have known him. He was not from that area, and they would have known he was not from that area. Walking in with a half-dead Jew on, on his donkey. What do you think the reception would have been? What kind of danger he would have been in. Not only does he spend great time getting him to the inn, into the nearest town, but then Jesus also paints this picture of sparing no expense to see to his future care. The cost of housing for the man would have been substantial. This is not a, you know, a sprained ankle. The guy was going to get up and, and be okay tomorrow. And this Samaritan pledges to to take care of his ongoing needs. As if that picture itself is not overwhelming and exhausting of an answer of who is my neighbor and how much love do I need to show, Jesus changes the tense of a little word in this whole thing that makes it even worse. In the original question, the the, the lawyer asked, what must I do to inherit the kingdom? The word do there, he, he, he uses the tense that indicates an action. When Jesus, at the end of the story, says, yes, now go and do the same, he changes the tense to a progressive one. So he changes it. The, the guy asks, what's the thing I've got to do? And Jesus answers, spend your life doing this. It's not a one-time act. It's a you have to, you want to know how to fulfill the law? Spend your whole life acting like this. What a standard Jesus sets. 
to take such extreme measures to show mercy, to feel such compassion for our enemy. But that's the price of fulfilling the law. That's the price for him, and that's still the price for us. But listen, that leads us to our next layer of this story. Remember, that's Jesus answering the question he asked. Now we're going to get to the layer where he answers the need behind the question. Jesus, the point Jesus is trying to make to the man asking the question. See, the question the lawyer asks itself is flawed. I don't know if you caught it. We'll look at it again. Luke, in verse 25. One day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus, asked him a question, and said, Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Do you see a flaw in there? You can't do anything to earn an inheritance. You can only be born into it. The point Jesus is trying to help this lawyer and us see is that we in ourselves cannot measure up to the fulfillment of the law. I imagine the, the, the people hearing this story were confronted with their inability for, for just the compassion. And I, I, this is part of Jesus' brilliance. He, he writes this story, he tells this story, and he knows that the, the real point he's trying to make is how we can't live up to the standard. And so in the story, he introduces a, a character, the Samaritan, that is going to elicit in the people that are listening the very emotion that he's telling them they shouldn't ever feel. Because as soon as the Samaritan gets introduced in the story, all that, you know, I mean, I'm sure you have this. There's people in your life that are not your favorite or, or even your enemy, and just their name, ugh, right? We see it on the, the news, and just, ugh, you know, we turn our heads. That's what Jesus is doing in this story, when he, as soon, and he knows he's doing it. As soon as he, he mentions a Samaritan, he gets this reaction from everybody. It's, you can probably hear it. There's probably giggles, probably some, some snar, you know, some talk. why he, he introduces the story. Now Luke, the story ends here in Luke. We don't, we don't know what happens next in the conversation. Jesus tells this, this great story that, that elicits all these emotions and makes it clear that none of us are going to live up to this standard. But let's put ourselves in, in the lawyer's shoes. Jesus is just told this story to you, only maybe, obviously, he wouldn't have used, if he was telling you the story, he would have used a different, a different character. So, why don't you just, in your own head, fill that in. Who's your Samaritan? Could uh, be a political group, could be a, you know, whatever, Hollywood, could be somebody personal. I feel like for us, that's typically what it is, because we're, we, we live, I feel like we, we're so blessed to live in such a bubble. We almost don't, un, don't fully, I feel like we don't, almost don't have the capacity to un, truly understand an enemy as a group. 
But we've all had personal attacks. So maybe that. Who is your Samaritan? Don't think. Who's, who's the person that hurt you the most? Who's the person that, that you're afraid of the most? Who's the person that you know hates you the most? And you're given the story of Jesus explaining all of this stuff that, that if you want to live up to the law, if you want to be fulfilled, if you want to be right by your own actions, this is the life you have to live to that person. What's our response? And here's where the third layer comes in. If we'll be if we'll be honest with Jesus. See, we don't know what the Samaritan did, if he just walked away, if he got defensive. But in an honest moment, I think the story for us or for him can tilt in a very different direction if we'll be honest. Almost like the, the story of the woman at the well. There comes, you know, there comes a point in the story where she gets real honest with him. And if we will get honest, and we look at the standard, and we look at, we look at the, we think of this other person, and we look at Jesus and go, Jesus, I, I can't do that. That's, that's not in me to do. I, I can't do all this stuff you're asking me to do. The good news is that there is a, I see in this story, a third layer, a third, a prophetic painting that is the, the solution to the problem that Jesus is, is showing us in this story. And that's that Jesus paints this picture of, of this good Samaritan doing the impossible. And the layer is he is in the moment while he's telling the story, stepping into that role in time and history. Jesus is the good Samaritan. Even though we were his enemy, he, he comes to us, he comes across us, and we're, we're broken, and we're bleeding, and we're hateful, and we're, we're judgmental, and we're, we're hypocritical, and all these things, and hopeless. But Jesus does what the Good Samaritan does. He has compassion on us. He risks his own life. He binds up our wounds. He carries us to safety. He pays our debt. He saves us. And here's the amazing part. And here's where the story, we kind of end up where we typically think this story is going. After we've received such ridiculous mercy and grace, we're transformed by it. But it's so important that we keep fresh in our hearts what Jesus did for us so that we can be that for someone else. It's a, it's a secondary, it's a response. It's not the first step. It's a fire that needs tending. The, the scripture warns us to not let our love grow cold. That we have to tend the fires of our own salvation that we always have fresh in our hearts and our minds the, just the radical love that Jesus gave to us, the compassion he showed for me and you, so that we, we have that stored up within us so that we can pour that out then on those that we deem unworthy. 
It's part of the reason we announced it this morning, September 19th, we're doing our, our first Sunday family dinner. It's part of the reason we're, we're going to start doing these. That's one of the, the hearts behind it is, is this idea, um, if you were in service a couple weeks ago, um, Paul Smith came up and kind of shared this idea about making a monument of our, our rebirth days. And it's so funny because we kind of already had this event in, our, in, our, in the works and the two just marry so well together. So that's what, that's what we're going to do. The whole heart behind it is that we, we break bread together and share and remind each other and tell each other our stories of how Jesus had compassion on us, of how we came to know him, of how he's shown himself faithful in our, faithful in our lives. So we can, we can know each other's stories and encourage each other. Because that's what, what grows that love. When we receive Jesus, we, we become one with him. His spirit comes alive in us. And then we are able to partner with him in being the good Samaritan. See, so much of the time we, 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 we either misread this, we misread this story and we try and skip the first step. We try and be the good Samaritan so that Jesus will be happy with us. But that's not the order. It's not the way it works. But when we have that that fresh in our minds, man, there's nothing you won't do for anyone. And that's the true power of the gospel. And we want to be a community that lives out of that. That is constantly reminding each other and, and letting the Lord remind us on Sunday mornings and Friday nights and worship nights and all these things so that we will be filled with his spirit and we'll be able to be on mission. We will be able to have the opportunity. We'll ha start having the eyes to see and the, the compassion to actually act as Jesus would have us act. One of the things we're working on right now is actually putting together a, a, a planning team, an outreach team, that, that'll plan... Um, regular outreaches for us that we as a community can participate in these aren't these aren't um these aren't outreaches just just in one little thing the idea is we're, we're gonna really try and focus on on expressing god's generous love to all sorts of different people using the gifts and the talents as talents that we have we're that you'll be hearing more about that over the next couple of months and if that that sounds like this is an, another little pitch if that sounds like something that you would really be interested in, in joining the team to plan it they're not going to do it all you know especially you know sometimes you, you talk about these sort of things in outreach and all the introverts like start looking at their shoes um no this is the planning team this is where the introverts really are going to shine right i i we need the people that know how to plan things which and stay on task that's the introverts all us extroverts we're just Woo! You know, we get, we get, we're just so happy to be together and talking, we never get anything done. Um, so this is, this is the planning phase. I, I encourage you, if, if you're interested, just email me this week. Um, you can find my email address on the, the website. 
Um, but we're going we're gonna to start uh, spending more, of our, more and more of our time focusing on, on, on doing just that. Allowing the Lord to fill us and remind us of who he is so that we can show who he is to those around us. Amen. Amen. Uh, we're going to close uh, in, in just a minute. Um, Lily, if you want to come on up and play for just a second. But I want to give us all a chance to just kind of respond um, <coughs> this morning. And there was, as I was praying about the message, kind of two, three areas that I felt like maybe the Lord wanted to deal with us this morning. And the, the first one is, you know, is there, is, is there anyone here that needs a fresh reminder of Jesus' sacrifice for you? And if you're being honest, you say, I, man, I mean, I know Jesus loves me, but been a while since that really affected me on a, on, a, on a deep level, on an emotional level, on a, on a real level. You know, we can, there's nothing wrong with asking the, the Holy Spirit to, to remind us of that. He, he, he encourages us to. that I'm insincere, but I just, I feel like I've, it's, and it could just be, you know, COVID hangover, whatever. I'm just, it's been a while since the reality of, of your salvation has been impactful for you. I just want to give you a, a moment to Confess that and ask, ask the Lord. Ask God to, to stoke that up within you. There's no shame in that. We, we, we all get that way from, from time to time. That's, that's why we come together. That's why we come to God's presence. second right now to just talk with the Lord and then I'm, I'm going to pray for you. Father, we, God, I thank you that you say in your word that if there's anything we need, we can, we just need to ask. And if it's, if it's in your will, it'll be done, God. And if there's anything 
that we know is in your will is that you will for us to know you more and deeply and sincerely God so for for those of us that that have maybe been missing the 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 reality of our salvation that it's been it's been a while since we've felt the joy of our salvation God would you just bestow that upon us this morning would you pour out your your spirit into our our hearts and our minds God would would you remind us in our spirits of of, of the freedom that you have given us, God. We don't want to take it for granted. We need to know. We need to be aware of what you've done for us every day. God, we, 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 we confess, we repent, we're sorry for not, not making that a priority, for not doing the things we know we should be doing to keep that alive in us. But would you, would you stoke that even this morning as we, as we spend time in your presence? you remind us of where we were and where we were destined to go outside of your great grace invading our lives. And then the second group I I wanted to kind of address was that, you know, anytime we talk about these great divisions, um, Jews and Samaritans and this sort of stuff. I think there's a, one of the natural things that happens is the Lord brings up to, to memory those, those in our own life, our own Samaritans. We, we talked about it. I asked you to think about that. And, you know, one of the things that will rob us of our joy and stop us from being able to show compassion on, on, those, on our enemies or even on our loved ones because bitterness is a, is a cancer and it spreads is a lack of forgiveness. And so but I couldn't let us go today without asking the question, who, who do you need to forgive this morning? Who do you need to learn to have compassion for? It could be a person. It could be a, a group of people that you have profiled or prejudiced or dehumanized. Man, media is one of the, I think, the most, the worst parts about media in general. I don't just mean the media. I mean technology is it creates a relationship with lots of groups of people where that is your only connection to them. And it's so easy to create a, uh, this kind of disjointed, dehumanized perspective of, the, of a group of people because the only thing you know of them is what you see on your newsfeed or TV or whatever. But they're people. Whoever they are to you. And they need Jesus, and some of them actually already love Jesus. And they have good days and bad days, and they, they des- because God created them and because he 
commands it, they deserve your compassion and your love. And so maybe you need to forgive a person. Maybe you need to ask for forgiveness for being prejudiced against some other group this morning. Doesn't mean you have to agree with them. is that for you? Is there somebody or some group? Again, I'll just give you a minute to talk with the Lord. thank you for your your great sacrifice God we thank you that you have forgiven us and God we choose this morning to, to forgive to let go of, of past hurts past pains God would forgive us this morning for our prejudices for our our lack, our, our lack of compassion and the justifications that we've built up. God, would you tear those down? God, would you give us eyes to see everyone the way you see them? God, that we would see the person and the, the pain first and not the, the positions they hold or the, 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 st- the sets that they the standards that they set or their, their perspective on life, that that would, that would be a distant second to recognizing who they are as a person. And as your child, my responsibility in the way I see that person and interact with them, even if it's on, just in my own heart. God, would you cleanse us some people here that up to this point or maybe it's an ongoing struggle that like the lawyer you've been trying to be good enough to earn your way into heaven I'm not saying you necessarily aren't a Christian yet but that's been your your practical MO yeah yeah I'm saved but but I really don't, I really know I'm not right with God unless I'm doing 17 things to prove it. I just want to pray for you this morning that that, that lie would be, would be broken off of you. That you would, you would know fully the truth of, <laughs> the truth of how in, enable you are to do what it is you're trying to do. 
There are some things that, that we, we, we think that we're just, they're just, just out of reach and we strive for them. God, I, I pray that you would, you would see the perspective from God going, you are nowhere close. Stop trying. My grace and my mercy is yours because I will to give it, not because you got close enough to earn it. So if that's you this morning, I just want to pray for you. God, would you, would you convince anyone in this room that has struggled with that, with that deep desire to try and earn your favor, God, would you convince them by your Holy Spirit this morning that, that they don't have to strive, that there is, there is nothing they can do that will make you love them more or less than you did while you were on the cross dying for their sins, and that that act was more than sufficient payment, and that it, that act was for them specifically. God, I pray that just a confidence in their relationship with you would just grow, that they would, they would know that they know that they know they could walk in peace, that they, are, they can live their whole life moving forward in right relationship with you because it's based on your sacrifice. God, your word says it's your kindness that leads us to repentance. I ask that your, your kindness would just be poured out on us this morning. for all of us, Lord, as we, as we have asked you, and you have, you have so generously this morning, even in worship, just shown us your heart, God, that that would spur us then to take up the mantle to love and show compassion on everyone and anyone who we see in need on the side of the road. God, this week even, give us, give us opportunities and give us eyes to identify opportunities to step in with you and show great compassion, show great mercy for somebody that, that we come across that's lying in a ditch. Physical ditch, a ditch of depression, a ditch of discouragement or illness. God, would you give us eyes to see and the joy and the strength and the faith to respond like you would in that moment? We pray all these things in your mighty name. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. We'll see you next week.